traveler. You made perfect timing. I just got this campfire going. But please, feel free to come take a seat. Relax for a bit. You're more than welcome to anything in the cooler over there. If coffee or tea's more your speed, though, I was just about to boil some water. Peaceful evening, don't you think? There's something about being out here, camping in the woods. Getting to take a break from the typical routines of life and instead taking on new experiences and environments. If I'm being completely honest, though, I haven't always felt comfortable being out here. Especially when I'm alone. Unlike my typical routine back home, when out here, I'm surrounded by a lot more darkness and uncertainty. Uncertainty of what else might be out here. I mean, it's only natural, I guess. When we're in the dark, we lose our visual senses, making it almost completely impossible to see if anyone or anything is in the darkness with us. From there, our other senses become heightened, and our imaginations start to run wild, and eventually, if our fears get the better of us, every snap of a twig or breeze in the trees might as well be the boogeyman. Not that we shouldn't maintain some awareness of our senses. The world is full of mystery. Weird, dark, scary mystery. Whether that be myths, both old and new, to strange anomalies or encounters, from cryptic creatures to the supernatural, and even unusual disappearances, deaths, and murder. Many times these mysteries can be explained, but just as often we find ourselves with nothing more than a reminder that this world is shrouded with unknowns. Sorry rambling. Hopefully I haven't scared you just yet. Would you believe me if I told you that it's actually from studying all these weird, dark, and, and scary mysteries that I've come to be more comfortable while out here in the woods at night? I know that sounds strange, but seriously, there's something about coming face to face with those fears of the unknown, diving into the mysterious cases and searching for if nothing else, some sort of takeaway that grants me better knowledge, perspective, and horror. At the very least, respect that perhaps not all things out here were meant to be fully understood. While I know that is likely just the case for me, I hope you'll stick around for your own reasons. Whether it be that you're searching to face some of your own fears, enjoy a good fright or mystery, or even if you simply stumbled upon here by accident and are just a little curious. No matter the case, know that you're always welcomed here. Now then, let's dive into some campfire mysteries. It was the evening of December 29th, 1953, in the small southeastern North Carolina town of Clarkton, when a local woman began to hear her neighbor's dogs causing a fuss outside. At first, she didn't really pay any mind. After all, the dogs were simply doing what dogs often do, bark. However, 
When that barking began to morph into whimpers, this woman grew concerned and decided to go outside and investigate. Upon stepping outside, she was shocked at what she would find. Lurking not far off in the distance was a large creature with what she would describe as having cat-like features. Immediately realizing that it had been detected, this creature leapt towards the swampy forest and vanished into the darkness. While unaware of it at that moment in time, she would soon discover just how lucky both herself and those dogs were for making it through their encounter unscathed. As, within just a few days time, this creature she just crossed paths with would rain terror upon a small neighboring town, giving it the name, The Beast of Bladenboro, North Carolina. Just two days later, on New Year's Eve, Bladenboro Police Chief Roy Forrest had just pulled up to the farm of Woody Storm to investigate the killing of two of his dogs. Usually in a situation like this, Woody would have even considered calling up the police for an investigation. However, the details of this murder scene were too gruesome to consider otherwise. As he approached the dead dogs, two things were immediately apparent to the chief. For one, Based off the puncture wounds, it had become quickly clear that the attacker had to have been a large animal. And secondly, most terrifyingly, both of the dog's bodies had been completely drained of blood. From there, it wasn't long before more reports and details of this beast would start trickling in from residents all around the town, each only helping to paint a more and more gruesome picture of this beast at large. One account came from a man who witnessed the dog being attacked and drugged back into the woods, never to be seen again. People described the beast as resembling a bear or a panther, saying that it was three to four feet long, 20 inches high, with a long tail, runty-looking ears, and a cat's face. And then all throughout that night, people could hear the creature's blood-curdling screams echoing from the dark swamps surrounding the town describing it as sounding like a woman with a knife stuck in her back. That following day, to a little surprise for all, the bodies of two more dogs would be discovered, also having been mauled and also with their blood completely drained. Panic was starting to rise throughout the town as more and more people began talking, and so to try to mitigate any future attacks, it was decided that it was time to call in help. About an hour's drive east of Bladenboro is Wilmington, North Carolina, a robust seaport city with a haunting and mysterious history of its own. However, that's probably best saved for another night. Anyways, it's from Wilmington that a professional team of hunters was brought in to accompany Chief Force in hopefully tracking down and bringing an end to the beast's reign of terror. And while unsuccessful in swiftly finding and capturing this beast, the team would come across large footprints that Force would later describe as being the size of a silver dollar. Residents started to become more vigilant, choosing to keep their pets indoors at night. 
by January 3rd, an autopsy report had officially determined that the dogs killed hadn't had a single drop of blood left in their bodies. It was also around this time, the residents officially started to refer to the creature as the Beast of Bladenborough. Two days later and the fears of the beast would only escalate more, as on January 5th, the Beast of Bladenborough would attempt an attack on its first human. On that evening, a woman named Mrs. Kinslaw was in her home when suddenly, much like the woman from Clarkton, she would hear the distinct sound of dogs whimpering right outside. And again, much like the woman from Clarkton, Kinslaw had decided that she would go out and investigate. Mrs. Kinslaw stepped outside. She took a look at the woods all around her, and then, leaping out from the darkness, she saw a large, cat-like creature. Without missing a beat, the beast rushed towards Mrs. Kinsler, who let out a loud scream. Hearing that his wife was in danger, Mr. Kinsler rushed outside with his shotgun to help. But fortunately, the beast had been frightened by Mrs. Kinsler screaming, and had fled back into the woods, leaving her untouched. News and talk of the Beast of Bladenborough had quickly spread nationwide. The following day, newspapers eagerly picked up the story of Mrs. Kinslaw's attack, and soon after, the tiny town of Bladenborough had become overrun with well over 600 hunters, coming in from as far out west as Tennessee, all determined to be the one who would bag the beast. Though the expertise of these people ranged from professional big game hunters to folks armed to the teeth and simply looking for a good time. There was even a posse of fraternity brothers from UNC Chapel Hill whose goal was to simply capture the beast and hang its head on their wall back home. If it wasn't clear already, a lot of hype and hysteria was starting to be built up in regards to this beast of Vladenburg. And, yeah, it was reportedly an otherwise slow news week for the nation, so the amount of coverage these attacks were getting is no surprise. But it should also be noted that the mayor at the time, Woodrow Bob Fussell, was definitely not one to shy away from this kind of publicity in his town. After all, it was the mayor who decided to bring in the professional hunters from Wilmington. He was also the first one to inform the press about the attacks. And in the midst of all these additional hunters flocking in, it was Mayor Fussell who booked the 1949 horror film, The Big Cat, to play at the town's movie theater that he just so happened to be the owner of. <laughs> Let's be fair though, it's not every day your town's terrorized by an unknown, potentially cryptic creature. Those opportunities are pretty rare, and why miss out on a good chance to you know, turn a little bit of a profit? Despite everything, though, despite the frat boy hunters and gimmicky horror movies, the fear from many of Bladenborough's residents was genuine, as there was still undoubtedly something out there roaming the woods, killing these animals and draining them of their blood. And even with the now nationwide attention and over 600 hunters in town, they were still no closer to finding the beast, let alone discovering what it actually was. 
There were, of course, theories as to what it could be. One possibility was that they were dealing with a Carolina panther, a species of large cat that, at one point in time, ruled the eastern coast of North America. However, the population of these big cats had sadly been decimated throughout the 18th century due to being hunted to near extinction, as well as the declining loss of their natural habitats and food sources. In fact, the last documented sighting of a Carolina panther had been in Maine in 1938. Another common theory was that this was nothing more than a cougar, bobcat, feral coyote, or stray dog. And still, others feared that perhaps this was something else entirely, that perhaps this was truly a beast of terrifying proportions. Over the span of three nights, these hunters searched the woods and swamps for the beast. And meanwhile, many residents remained indoors, terrified to even step outside. Especially those who lived in the outskirts of town. One such person was Mr. Butler, who would state that... Nighttime was the feared time around those parts. As the sun set, the entire community on the west side of the town went indoors and didn't come out until it was necessary. He would then go on to explain that, quote, Almost everyone had an outdoor privy, and to supplement the outside convenience, most houses had a thunder jug, a big jug that could be used at night and emptied into the privy during the day. That jug got plenty of use during the scare. Now with all the hysteria going around, you might be thinking that this was all leading up to some big conclusion with the beast. But in actuality, it was because of the panic that Chief Force would decide to call off the hunt due to his very real concern that an anxious hunter armed with a gun might accidentally shoot someone, thinking that they were actually the beast. And so, the decision was made on January 13th to put an end to the hunt for the beast of Bladenborough. Not long after from there, a rather large bobcat which had been captured by a local farmer, was brought into the town. The cat was then hung up on a flagpole with a sign placed underneath it that simply stated, This is the Beast of Bladenborough. Over the following few days, the town of Bladenborough started to calm down and get back to normal. All of the hunters left town, there was no longer reports or attacks of animals being killed and drained of their blood, and residents were finally able to sleep easy once more. And so, it would seem that, just as quickly as it started, the beast's reign of terror on this little North Carolina town had officially come to an end. There you have it, Traveler. The Beast of Bladenborough. What do you think about it all? Do you think this creature the town feared was deserving of all the attention it got? Or do you think it was nothing more than a simple case of an unusually dangerous animal? After all, cases of people's pets being killed by wild animals is no strange story in itself. Especially when it's happening in a rural county such as in this case. Then again, there is the fact that these dogs were found with the blood drained from their bodies. Vampiric tenancies don't exactly pertain to North Carolina's known wildlife. 
But as if these reports are even to be believed. I mean, that mayor certainly seemed like one who enjoyed putting on a good show. And what better way to get your town under the nation's spotlight than by stoking the flames of a town's paranoia and having hundreds of people running around in the woods with guns searching for a large supernatural vampire cat. Regardless of theories and the very real fear that gripped the town at the time, there is no denying that when looking back on everything that took place, the over-exaggerated hype and reaction people had about the beast was pretty funny. Well, I mean, the people of Vladimirov certainly seem to think so, as these days they see the Beast reign of terror as a source of pride for the town. They even host a yearly event named Beast Fest to commemorate everything that took place back in 1954. And, yeah, I'd say that's how these types of situations usually go. At times, we can find ourselves in pretty scary situations. But, more times than not, we make it through it all unscathed and can laugh about the hype of it all in hindsight. Or, at the very least, be left with a good story to share. And, with that, Traveler, I thank you for joining me around the campfire as I dove into the story of the Beast of Bladenborough. I hope you join me again in the future as I cover more true, dark, and mysterious tales. Though I do warn you that while this tale ended on the lighter side, that may not always be the case here. As while more times than not we do make it through those scary scenarios unscathed, there still is that tiny, terrifying little chance that something truly horrifying is lurking in the darkness, just beyond the comforting glow of the campfire's light. But until next time, I wish you nothing more than safe and happy travels, as well as hope that you'll remember this friendly little tip don't feed your local cryptid, lest you wish for the cryptid to feed on you. Good night. Campfire Mysteries was presented to you by Michael Gill. Additional voice work by Kurt Flodo. Official Campfire Mysteries artwork was done by Cam Dixon. Special thanks to Bobby and Mike Gill, Colleen Buck, Cam Dixon, as well as Kurt and Liv Flodo for their amazing support in the production of this podcast. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram at Campfire Mysteries Pod. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash campfire mysteries. Thank you.